We've had enough, so we're throwing everything everywhere all at once through the vortex at Father Stew. I'm Van Connor. And I'm Bex Perfect, and this is Offscreen, your seven-day guide to everything movies. Boom. Welcome to Offscreen. We're keeping things cinematic for you, taking you through all the f- movies on the big screen, the small screen, and everything in between. Van, we are starting with the big screen, though. We've got not as many as we normally would movies this week. Um, not quite sure why, but I'm sure we'll come on to that when we go into our second round of movies this week. But let's kick off with Vortex, which is a French movie. Uh, it's available as of today and it's rated 15. It is about the last days of an elderly couple uh, living through dementia. Um, heartbreaking, harrowing uh, is the illness. And the movie is very... Very odd, I think, in its layout. Don't you think that? You, you, you had the pleasure of seeing this. I see. Well, yeah. pleasure, mis- displeasure, which, whichever you want to pick. Um, first of all, Ga- Gaspar Noé movie. Now, we haven't got a clip, obviously, because it's in French. We should stress as well mm. that said couple, I can't believe you glossed over this one, because, well, I mean, one of them is Dario Argento. So there's, there's that. Uh, also, uh, Francois Lebrun as his wife, mm. and great performances, like, like really, you can't fault the performances, but they are, like, you know, largely dialogue-free as well. This is mostly an art piece, yes. I would say, as opposed to, yes. I mean, if you want to get into, you know, auteur theory, you know, what is and isn't cinema, etc., you know, have at it, not really our remit, but this is genuine, this is art house drama that explores dementia. Don't go into this looking for, you know, I want the French version of Anthony Hopkins in The Father, because you are certainly not getting that here. This is, for one thing, a much more muted, a much more nuanced, a much more expressive film that is in no way as verbal. No, and it's also, it's filmed in a really odd, well, artistic way, I would Mm. say. No way, you know. Yeah, you've got two frames, essentially, that look into almost like you're peering into the lives and following both uh, characters around as they go about their stuff. So it kind of starts off with them going about shuffling around papers, working in offices, sort of starting their day. It's all that kind of stuff. But it's um, which I find a little bit jarring to watch it in that in that way. It's it's not really my cup of tea. And it is. Oh, gosh, I can't remember. It's like two and a half hours long. It's 222, I think. Yeah. 222, yeah. Really, really long movie for essentially something that is, like you say, quite muted uh, mm. throughout, which I, 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 have to be, I have to be honest, I struggled with. To, to be really honest with you, though, Bex, I mean, neither you nor I are, are, are clearly going to be the demographic for this because the demographic yeah. for this is very clearly who wants to see a, a movie starring Dario Argento about, Dario Argento about dementia because it's mm. not going to be a horror movie. If someone tells you Dario Argento is starring in a, a, you know, a Gaspar Noé movie about dementia, odds are the, the kind of person that gets excited by that prospect as a work of cinema is going to be the only kind of person who will enjoy it to, or find yeah. the, the real appreciation in it, to be honest. And don't get me wrong, I like my Gaspar Noé a little bit more sensational. I was a big fan of Love 3D. I think that was, what, five years ago? Was that five years ago? Did did we see Love together? I can't remember. I didn't this. see it. I don't. I haven't seen it. That that was the that was the one with all the graphic unsimulated sex that he had insisted was filmed in 3D and then went over the top. And like they actually insisted that the pressure was in 3D. And you know how rare that is that they yeah. actually wheel out the. Yeah, that was. I mean, it was obscene, but it was just just hats off to him for boldness. This, I would say, is something a lot more, a lot closer to. I would say uh, what you described. Uh, something that's been 
prescribe for pedigree, something that I think mm. has been precision crafted. I want this to be my awards winner. And I think that is visible through it. Whether or not it ever will, I, I think the time, the window must have closed on that, surely. We must be getting it last yeah. in this country. Yeah, maybe, maybe. And I, I mean, this is not going to be a widely uh, distributed movie. This is going to be, well, picture, you picture have to house, seek this it? one out. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, but the thing is, is that if you want to go and watch this, it's just, you're going to have to go and seek it out. Um, this is not going to be something that you're going to walk past a poster for and kind of be like, oh, yeah, that that <laughs> piques my attention. Well, let's talk about one that is going to get some posters. I, I think it's got one or two around with the two different faces of Mark Wahlberg adorning it. I told you just off mic that I nearly paid money in the US to see this like a month ago mm. uh, just to save myself, uh, you know, a, a trip to and from London uh, this week. And uh, <laughs> had I done so, I would have been furiously demanding my money back. So Mark Wahlberg is back with Mel Gibson. It is the weirdest daddy's home three you could have imagined it's called father stew and it's based on a real life guy named father stew who was a boxer sort of like Wahlbergish age although mark Wahlberg seems to think in all of his movies now that he's perennially 40 years old which is becoming yeah. increasingly optimistic it's like when he was in ted and they kept referring to him as being 35 all the time and it felt weirdly obligatory like he had insisted on it they do the same kind of thing here um so he just he's he's, a, he's like a, a a training boxer you know what i mean like a guy mm -hmm. that they get in the ring to toughen up the up and covers like and he, and he, he yeah. knows this he's all about that works in security and has a series of odd jobs lives with his his old mom uh, again uh, you know t t taking care of his old mom and decides one day that when he when he when he meets the, a chance encounter with a young girl meet cute a uh, young woman in her sort of late 20s early 30s he decides oh i like her but she's really religious. How can I get in with a shot? So he infiltrates her church group, then finds himself increasingly seduced by the power of the church to the point that he decides he's going to become, wait for it, Father Stew. For example, I am going to give up chocolate. Hey, you guys should protest. You need sweetening. <laughs> yeah, pick something else. Well, what are you going to give up, Stew? Me? Uh, I was thinking maybe you guys so I could sleep in on Sundays. No! Alright, alright. Alcohol. Hey, that's not fair. You gotta pick something good that you'll miss to make it count. I like this kid. <laughs> I was, um, whilst you were giving the synopsis for this, I was genuinely having to look it up on IMDb because mm -hmm. I actually thought you meant this was like a third daddy's home. And I was like, <laughs> what? What are you on about? So I was just frantically searching that. Um, obviously, it's not. Um, it looks great from the trailer. It looks interesting. It's got a great cast. You've got Malcolm McDowell in there as well. You've also got Jackie Weaver in there as well. I mean, it's got everything it needs. What's not worked? Well... Do you, ever, do, you ever, do you ever cover any of those pure flicks movies with me over the years? You know the ones like God's Not Dead and things like that? We, they always have mm. the pure flicks logo. Occasionally. Yeah. yeah, this very much feels like douche flicks by comparison <laughs> or bro flicks or something like that. Because this feels like Mark Wahlberg took a look at that and thought, do you know what? There's some money in that. I'm having a go. Call Mel up. He'll help us get the financing. Get my entourage boys back in this room. And that's what's happened here, evidently, because it's noticeable that this is produced by one of the showrunners of Entourage itself, the fictionalization of the story of Mark Wahlberg. <laughs> and, 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 you, and you start to see the ego imprinted upon it. Because don't forget, Mark Wahlberg 
very into God. Very, very into God. And when you watch this film, you think... Boston Catholic. Yeah, you'd you'd kind of have to be. Because the only people that would find this in any way engaging, appealing, or investable as a film... And bear in mind, I'm leaving out a pretty significant plot point from this review that you could very easily go up and, and... find on Google quite easily about the real fathers do, which is obviously where the story goes. I'm doing that for the sake of entertainment because if you're going to wind up seeing this, you might as well have something that surprises you. Um, and you, you, it honestly does feel like the kind of movie that has come together entirely out of this rote, middle-of-the-road script, this nuts and bolts, put it all together, faith will save the day nonsense that they have literally cobbled together from the basic plot synopsis of... I knew this guy, right? Tried to get this girl, joined her church group, became a priest, and then dot, dot, dot. And Mark Wahlberg thought, ha, bro, I so gotta make that movie. I'm gonna do it. I should play him, shouldn't I? Looks nothing like him, but I should play him, shouldn't I? I know what we'll do. We'll get Mel in there. What's Mel do? He can play my dad. So they get Mel Gibson along to play a guy that's absolutely nothing like the real guy's dad, evidently. And Mel Gibson uses the opportunity to perform these, and I have to assume they are ad-libbed. I have to they're not ad-libbed, then there's something seriously wrong with the minds of Hollywood screenwriters. These absolutely spurious, I can only describe them as hate rants. Just hate rants. They literally got Mel Gibson to show up to set and seemingly just monologue about whatever he wanted to camera. And it just so happened to align with this depiction that they want for this guy's dad. Um... Wahlberg doesn't even feel like he's particularly trying to give good Wahlberg here. This feels like phoned-in Transformers sequel, Wahlberg. Um, mm. I, I have nothing good to say about it other than Jackie Weaver's always always all right in these in, in in these kind of things. Like she can make you know, make hay out of even the you know the most nonsensical rubbish, but she's the highlight far and away. But she's the only thing. Welcome back to Off Screen. We are keeping you on the big screen and we're keeping you on the big screen with Michelle Yeoh and a film that I know Van has been very, very excited to talk about uh, in the not too recent past. Uh, He's been waiting for this week where he can give this a good old review and we've got it for you now. It is everything, everywhere, all at once. Van, over to you, my friend. You know the best part? I, I I can't help but give them credit for the title of this because if ever a title so perfectly summed up a movie, it is everything, everywhere, all at once. Okay, so this is best described as a by all by all sort of seeming by by all the obvious visible impressions. It seems like a sort of come out of nowhere, independently made, relatively low budget sci-fi fantasy action comedy starring Michelle Yeoh as a woman named Evelyn Wang. Evelyn Wang's a first-generation Chinese immigrant uh, to America, has opened a a, a laundrette with her husband years earlier. The husband, incidentally, is played by Kihu Kwan, who you might remember from Goonies and Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. He has been retired for a while. He's back, he's brilliant, Welcome back, sir. You have been missed, clearly. Okay, he is her husband. Now, what happens is they are they are under investigation by the IRS, by an overzealous IRS auditor, played by Jamie Lee Curtis as Deirdre, and I'm trying to remember her surname, um, Bowbeard Beard or something like that, Bowbearder or something like that, I think her name is. But she, this is meant to be this sort of geriatric, very unappealing, slovenly Bo- kind of... Bowbeard. 
Bobeadra. No. Yes, that's it. Deirdre yeah. Bobeadra. That's it. Deirdre Bobeadra. Yeah. I couldn't remember. Right. So they're under investigation by overzealous IRS auditor. In the meanwhile, Evelyn's own daughter, Joy, who has you know, been raised her whole life in, in the US, quite westernized by comparison, um, is a gay teen, a, a gay college age girl who is having trouble getting her family to accept her girlfriend and her partner as an actual fixture in her life. As if that wasn't enough, there's also Grandad coming into the mix. Grandad, who's played by, brace yourself for this, none other than bloody James Hong. This week's yes. winner of Walk, you know, uh, Hollywood Walk of Fame. Walk, Walk of Fame, uh, yeah. 93 years old. Yeah, Amazing. James Hong. Probably still best known to audiences as Kung Fu Panda's dad, although to me, Cassandra's from Wayne's World and, you know, Big Trouble no, in Little China. No, for me, yeah. for me, he's David, Lo- he's David Lopan from Big Trouble in Little China. Big Trouble in Little China, yes, yeah, that's, that's like the third one for me on the list. But he's coming into the mix as well, and all this is going on, and then all of a sudden, Evelyn discovers that her so-called ordinary, stifled, put-upon failure of a life actually makes her a little bit unique. You see, she's the only Evelyn in the existence of the multiverse to have accomplished nothing with her life. And it turns out this makes her the only person in the universe with the necessary power to actually travel to and inhabit the bodies of all of her other multiverse variants, assuming all of their knowledge, abilities, skill sets, and powers that will enable her to save the multiverse from this this warlord-like villain who is in fact a variant of her own daughter. It's so weird, it's so bizarre, but I've got a clip for you to set up just how bonkers this will all seem. What's happening? I'm not your husband. I'm another version of one from another universe. I'm here because we need your help. Very busy today, a whole time to help you. Across the multiverse, I've seen thousands of Evelyns. You can access all of their memories, their emotions, even their skills. There's a great evil spreading throughout the many verses. And you may be your only chance of stopping it. Don't make me fight you. I am really good. I don't believe you. What is it that Marvel has done recently to kickstart everything? Of everything is about a multiverse now, right? Like, this now, you would you can be forgiven for thinking that because yes, obviously there is there is that going for it. It's coincidence in this case. Now, the writer directors of this, who are credited as Daniels plural, uh, consist <laughs> yeah. of I think it's Daniel Scheinart and Dan Kwan. And they had been writing this for the better part of a decade and every now and again would apparently get close to what they thought of as as the great idea. This was written instantly for Jackie Chan and was then gender flipped because they thought the story worked better if it was from a female perspective and the husband was the sort of multiversey character that Mm. it it, it created a bit of a better, it it worked, created a better energy. And Michelle Yeoh then came into play. It's worth noting that one of the multiverses that she frequently visits too, the idea is that by passing through a multiverse, by passing, by skipping over one multiverse, that one that you skip, you still retain the powers and skills from. So you basically zip there and back and you keep their powers effectively. So she zips into a universe in which she is Michelle Yeoh and has mm. Michelle Yeoh's career and skill set and then zips back into her own body and boom, she's a kung fu fighting 
Evelyn <laughs> with all the skills of a real-world Michelle Yeoh. It's absolutely brilliant. But the re the thing that had come about from the writing of this is every time they got close to the, the you know crystallizing the idea, something would come out in popular fiction that would then steal their thunder. And apparently the biggie here, and you can see it all the way through, to their credit, they, they roll with it, is Rick and Morty. And mm. by all accounts, the pair of them had to stop watching Rick and Morty. And I know the specific episode they talk about in interviews. They say that there was an episode that came out, and when we saw it, we just we were just devastated. And we, we had to make a vow at that point to stop watching Rick and Morty. And, and then when we were done, we, we watched them all afterwards, and it was great. And fair play to them, not only because they got to binge some of the best episodes of Rick and Morty, but also because, you know, at least they understood the game. Mm. And that that they they understand clearly within the script that that has happened, and there is some fun with it. There's there's a lot of metatextual gaggery of thought, as you can imagine. There's the everything bagel, which elevates this whole thing to this sort of Gen Z philosophical level, that then puts it in stark opposition with a much more um, a, a much more occupationally driven older generation as well. There's loads of things running through this. Like I say, it is a movie that is about everything everywhere all at once for like two hours and it's brilliant i have nothing but love for it i could watch this a billion times it plays like do you remember uh sorry to bother you a few years ago oh i, uh, I remember hearing of it i don't imagine the, imagine the director of that was an art house filmmaker named boots riley imagine boots riley got to make jet lee's the one or spike jones got to make the matrix and yeah. then those the, those two babies met grew up and boned this would be their kid that that that's basically the best way i can describe this movie it, it's okay. deranged it's i mean it literally mm -hmm. involves it involves a parallel universe in which human beings have hot dogs for fingers and this is a gag they run with this is a, an actual thing that becomes part of the plot <laughs> it's it's just deranged i love it i love it so much i just want to watch it over and over again having said that, i will admit i think i have told you this before my my review notes when i was in the screen were uh, the first line are james effing hong end of review and yeah you know i, I love them that he then gets the uh the, the the walk star of the walk of fame the week before this comes out i'm so happy it's here it is a five star two thumb up absolutely rollicking good time i can't recommend highly enough that everybody throws ticket money at this thing it's so goddamn good sounds all right <laughs> <laughs> i mean you consider the rest of our week you know like we, yeah. we kind of got sniffed on two massive releases this week because we had we were supposed to have uh senior year was going to be a thing at one point with with mm, rebel, wilson, rebel wilson and then Net yeah netflix aren't releasing screeners of that that's interesting and uh, what was the other one uh the the the, the blumhouse remake of firestarter, oh, firestarter with Zac yeah yeah. Which there has been a lot of trailers for on mm. like TV and things like that. So you would have thought they would have. Uh, well, I remember looking at that trailer and going, God, this looks weird with Zac Efron playing the dad in it or whatever it was. It makes me feel old. It's all a bit strange. Mm. But uh, yeah, interesting. They're not screening this one either. I will say one thing finally on, on Everything Every All at Once, by the way, uh, which is uh, Harry Shum Jr., who we covered in that horror film recently. It was kind of like The Ring. 
Do you remember that one? Yeah. That transmission, yeah. broad, regular broadcast uh, transmission, yeah. whatever it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you remember the one? Uh, he turns up in this uh, as literally a human, a, a, a live action representation of Ratatouille, as in like a chef who's being puppeteered by an animal, or I think it's a, a raccoon or a, a raccoon so or, or a ferret or something. It, again, there's everything in there. You, you, there's animation, there's video games, all sorts. Just, I, I love everything everywhere all at once. So I keep glancing over, like I've got the IMDb page up on the iPad, and I just keep looking over, like I catch a name on the cast list. Oh, Jenny Slade. Oh, I remember her scene. It's so good. And I love the movie. I, I, I can't wait to go and see it again. Like, can, can we please, like, I know it's an A24 movie as well, which kind of tells you a lot about the sort of upper mid-brow that it's aimed mm. at kind of thing. But, uh, oh, God, if there's a film of the week, I mean, there is a film of the week. It's film of the week. There you go. Go and see everything, everywhere, all at once. And do it anywhere, right now, everywhere. Welcome back to Offscreen. And now that you've heard Van's big recommendation on the big screen, if you're not heading out to the cinemas, don't worry, we've got you covered. We've got all of your top t- uh, TV movies for you to watch on your telly box. And it starts on this Friday night at 11.05pm on 4 with Baywatch. Yes, Zac Efron, better than he was in Firestarter, we are assuming. Uh, well, and, we, uh, we just wanted a Zac Efron movie to, to watch on Friday. Well, yeah. That's what happened, yeah. Absolutely. And uh, Dwayne The Rock Johnson in this and Priyanka Chopra as well. This is actually so much better than you think Mm -hmm. it's going to be. It's a really, really fun uh, reboot of a very, very popular 90s red swimsuit TV show. Well, I think Baywatch is, uh, was, I think, for the first half of the 1990s, I believe, the most watched program on the planet. Watched yes. by more than a billion people. Yeah. Um, interesting thing. I, interesting thing I discovered in a documentary uh, recently is a disproportionate. In fact, the bigger chunk of that viewership female as well would not have thought that. yeah i know um, but, i i, I um, remember seeing that and i think it's interesting because i think there's a level mm. of empowerment weirdly like you know you're seeing women taking there's the lead a, roles yeah in there's this. a whole yeah. documentary coming there's a feature-length documentary about baywatch in the works yeah. it is coming because it's been development for years uh, but the thing with the movies the movie goes down the more the route of the 2004 adaptation of starsky and hutch by todd phillips mm. which goes with do you know what we know the concept's goofy but we're gonna make it specific to itself we're gonna we're gonna give it a little bit a little bit of insincerity and fun we're gonna poke poke lightly at it we'll be a little bit meta we'll just have a good time and it works and by virtue of focusing more on the comedy rather than the action thriller side of baywatch which was baywatch was more always more of a humorless action thriller yeah. it wasn't very self-aware it was kind of like knight rider in that way but of course you know what do you expect it shares a star um this leans more into that comedy and you wind up getting some really interesting performances i actually i'm shocked to this day we have never seen more of kelly Rohrbach, who takes on the pamela anderson role in this she was mm. a, a i think she was a a, a sports illustrated swimsuit model which is how she got she was uh, uh leo's girlfriend at the time the movie was being made and i think yeah. she's about 23 years old and she's surprisingly funny in this like she's got yeah. good comedic timing and does manage to give that character a personality that Pamela Anderson did not manage in, was it four or five seasons of network television? So we're <sighs> seeing for that. Also, Alexandra Daddario, can we please make this lady a movie star already? Come on, she's worked for it. Anyway, on to one 
that I, I think is just perfect for Saturday Night Bex. I don't know if you covered this when we reviewed it. I, I don't know if you, you screened this. Um, this was must have only been about a year ago. It's on 9pm on the Horror Channel on Saturday night. We've got a clip for this one. It's directed by, I think it's Jonathan uh, Melote and Kerry Mernion, who directed another film we're going to be talking about on, uh, wrote, directed another film we're going to be talking about on Freeview this week, and Scream 5 and the upcoming Scream 6, which I was just reading about earlier because Hayden Panettiere is coming back, apparently. But their movie for Saturday night is, I think, their second biggie after the one we're going to talk about later. It's called Becky, and it's in which a 13-year-old girl, played by Lulu Wilson, has to effectively go all home alone in the woods on Kevin James, an evil neo-Nazi who's recently escaped from prison, along with his two pals. Called the cops. They're on their way. Hello, Becky. Better start running. That fat one, he's gonna like me to... Need a head start or something. You didn't call anyone, sweetheart. I have your cell phone. So? So I walk to our neighbors, the Griffins. I use their phone. They have a gun, too. You better leave. Well, there we go. That's uh, If you're up for a horror on a Saturday night, then Becky is there for you 9pm on the Horror Channel. Moving on to Sunday... Yeah, uh, yeah, and uh, moving on to Sunday, we have Eddie the Eagle on Film 4, 6.40pm, a perfect Sunday movie. Taron Egerton, Hugh Jackman, the story of the iconic underdog that is Eddie the Eagle. And very funny, a great performances, and, you know, a jolly nice watch. It's kind of what you want from a British movie, isn't it? Kind of is. It's kind of the perfect Dexter Fletcher vehicle, isn't yeah, it? Like Dexter yeah, Dexter Fletcher directed this. And you can... It kind of feels like this is the director Dexter Fletcher has become. Like I'm, I'm overjoyed that he has the career he's come because we need someone. I think we need a British filmmaker that occupies that specific category that that Dexter Fletcher does, which is not quite as as nihilistic as Matthew Vaughan, but still more yeah. likable than Guy, like likable and every man than Guy Ritchie. You know what I mean? And I think that yeah. that shows in Eddie the Eagle, but great fun performances from Taron Egerton and Hugh Jackman. Lots of good laughs, I think, in that one. Yeah. Absolutely. And one of my favourite films is on Monday as well. It's on 9pm <laughs> really? on Paramount. Yeah, I love this film. It's Gabriel Byrne, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Friend. Yeah, Robin Tunney. It is End of Days. Um, this is, oh God, this is where Gabriel Burns is essentially the devil. And Arnold Schwarzenegger, remind me again what is, because I always sort of think he's like the Terminator in this okay. and he's not, but he's like... Let's- <laughs> I'm glad you said that. Right, I'm going to explain this one for you. I'm going to try and give you the 60-second version of this. Okay, so in 1999, whilst trying to stage yet another comeback on the back of uh, the massive failure of uh, Batman and Robin, Arnie tried to get himself back into the Terminator 2 mold. He tried to craft a new project that was exactly like that. He got the director of Time Cop to helm this and effectively made Terminator with Satan. So the idea is you're mm. not protecting the, the, the mother of the saviour of the human race from you know evil machines. It's literally Satan. And this is all on New Year's Eve, 1999. This time around, though, he's not a robot. He is, in fact, a fallen-from-grace alcoholic security agent, ex-cop with a dead family named, as if you can't follow the biblical side of this closely enough, Jericho Kane. And (laughs) this this whole pursuing the Terminator 2 thing, by the way, went so far that they actually went and got Guns N' Roses back to give them a title track, hoping that, you know, Guns N' Roses had their S 
you know, blank, blank, blank together enough at this point. And uh, it, they didn't. And the track is abysmal. I can't even remember the name of it. It was truly abhorrent. But uh, yeah, this is literally Arnie does Terminator with Satan. Yeah. You can also see Paul Bettany yeah. do a version of this in Legion. But end of days, 9pm Paramount, Monday night. What a banger. Some great scenes in this. Also, shout out CCH Pounder, yo. She's brilliant in everything. Uh, on to Tuesday now, speaking of brilliant, uh, Cameron Crowe's, I think, 2000 uh, semi-biographical uh, coming-of-age mm. drama. Almost Famous is on, 11.15, on great movies. We all, we've all seen this, I think, at some point. If you haven't, you got to see it. It is one of the great coming-of-age stories. It's about the you know the young, aspiring, <laughs> wannabe Rolling Stone journalist, you know, reportedly based on Crowe himself, who tours uh, with a band called Stillwater and uh, learns you know, basically all about life. On the road. On the road. <laughs> I am a golden god! Yeah! 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 I am a golden god! Hey, Russell, go jump! And you can tell Rolling Stone magazine that my last words were... I'm on drugs! And of course, this is the movie that really did launch Kate Hudson into the yeah into the spotlight. But great cast and crew. Mm. Billy Crudup is in that, and also Francis McDormand as well. Jason Lee, Anna Paquin as well, and Feruza Balk. I mean, you're bringing out some real old school uh, mall rats, and also yeah, mall rats and some Return to Oz classics that you got in there. Um, So that is available for you to watch on uh, Tuesday at 11:15 p.m. That's one to record if you're not going to. Stay up too late because it is a great film. Moving on to Wednesday, Van, we're going back to the horror channel. We're not only going back to the horror channel, we're going back to the same writer-directors as the last time we were on the horror channel. So before Becky, it turns out that Kerry Munyon and Jonathan Miller had made uh, uh, Cooties, which is the first film I encountered them on. This is the one we've got an all-star cast who are basically elementary school teachers, only for the kids to consume tainted chicken nuggets and become flesh-eating zombies. It's brilliant. <laughs> It's such good fun. Alison Pill, Elijah Wood, Rain Wilson, Lee Wanell, hell of a guy. Jack Mabrea in this as well. Like I, I this is one I will go back and, and watch again every every like year or so since it came out. It's only three three or four years old. Good fun. If you want a good yeah. nasty sort of zombie comedy with like possessed children, look no further. This is an absolute banger. Um, but again, this is one that I think uh, to end our week, one that I think a lot of people consider one of the big bangers of the century. It's Daniel Craig's introduction as the then rebooted and somewhat noticeably grittier James Bond in Casino Royale, which is on Thursday night on ITV4 at 9pm. We've got a clip for this one, but Bex, do you remember what Casino Royale was about? Because I barely do anymore. Well, it's the brooding Daniel Craig mm. one. It's the one that I think a lot of people class Daniel Craig as as the best Bond movie that he actually was in. And I think I kind of <laughs> tend to agree with that in some yeah. respects. I yeah. What one's your favourite then? Skyfall. Every time Skyfall's the best one of his entire... In fact, I think Skyfall's the only one I would consider a really good movie, to be really honest, out of his entire tenure. Mm, I, I think I, you're in the minority some, on that one. <laughs> I, uh, well, no this time is... For that. This is obviously first uh, James's first mission as 007 uh, in this, and he's just earned his 00 status, and he's got to basically defeat a private banker who's funding terrorists in a high-stakes game of poker at the very famous Casino Royale in uh, in Montenegro. So it's... it's um, 
it's interesting to me now, looking back on this, and I, this has got to be one of the only times I can remember this, one of, got to be one of the big success stories, where the Bond villain has become the breakout star, because this is the movie, and before we play the clip, but this is the movie that gave us mads. By the cut of your suit, you went to Oxford or wherever. Naturally think human beings dressed like that. But you were it with such disdain. My guess is you didn't come from money. And your school friends never let you forget it. Which means you were at that school by the grace of someone else's charity. Hence the chip on your shoulder. And since your first thought about me ran to orphan, that's what I'd say you are. Well, you are. <laughs> I like this poker thing. And that makes perfect sense. Since MI6 looks for maladjusted young men, I give little thought to sacrificing others in order to protect queen and country. You know, former SAS types with easy smiles and expensive watches. Rolex. Amiga. Beautiful. I love that. Um, I think you get a lot of vulnerability from James Bond in this, something that we hadn't really seen before. Eva Green is obviously brilliant in it. And also, I think the importance of Casino Royale is that you do constantly see the reference, uh, reference back to Eva Green's character in other movies as well. So just to show sort of how important that relationship was. You anyway, really that is... enjoyed that weekend. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, so there was that. There was Cooties, which was on before that, and a whole other host of brilliant movies this week. But next up, we're going to take you on everything that is in between on your streaming DVD and Blu-ray offerings. Welcome back for one last ride off screen. And, well, there's now Fallout on DVD this week, uh, or Blu-ray. I think I think Malignant by James Wan is getting a 4K release on Monday, but I still haven't seen that film in standard definition, so you know, there, there is that one. I really need to see Malignant. Apparently there's some twist that really makes it unique, so I, I, I'm going to find that one out. But have you seen Malignant, Bax? No, I haven't, no. no. No, it didn't get, like, a press show, I don't think. But uh, speaking of things they're not showing to press, uh, one of our biggies on streaming today uh, is Senior Year, which comes to streaming on Netflix. Um, before we play a clip for this, some context. So um, this stars Rebel Wilson, right? And it's it's kind of noticeable. In, it seems to be, I think it's the first major film project that Rebel Wilson has taken on since the much tabloid-covered weight loss Yes. So I, I think there is, uh, I, th I think there is an expectation of, of, of I think there was an expectation of this as a star vehicle, and it seems to have gone wrong a little. But the idea here is she seems to be playing a sort of Isla Fisher, Reese Witherspoon type role, yeah. in in which she was a high school cheer captain who fell off the cheerleader pyramid or whatever, smacked her head, went into a coma, and wakes up decades later. Like she wakes up from the millennium to like now, yeah. And she wakes up in the body of Rebel Wilson and decides she needs to go and finish her high school because why shouldn't she be? You know, why should she be denied that last year? You know, it was meant to secure her life. Why should she just? skip over it but of course it's a rebel wilson comedy so you can sort of guess the vibe that this clip's gonna lay down where do the popular kids sit we're all popular kids. oh no 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 there's only like three ways to become popular to be a cheerleader to work at abercrombie or to let guys what oh my god i must be really popular then <laughs> All right, I think I've worked this thing out. You get followers by being somebody everybody likes. Hey, Steph. Holy I'm doing a makeup tutorial. For who? 
Batman villains? So I've seen the trailer for this and, mm-hmm. you know, it's kind of one of those things. I mean, every time I see Rebel Wilson on screen, I sort of eye roll a little bit and go, I know exactly what I'm going to get from this. It's going to be a little bit we rude. Mm. Yeah, and it's just... It, and the thing is, is that it gets a bit tiresome. Now, obviously, people will be... The, the, the thing about this is that she's going to come back having basically been awake in the 90s, early 2000s and applying that kind of yeah. mindset to a woke to 2022, essentially high school. And that's what the premise of this is. Do you know what, actually? There is, I, I think there is a great, con- conceptually, there is a great comedy in that concept. Mm. There is not so much in the hands of Rebel Wilson because I don't think she's sharp enough to pull that off. Um, yeah. Having having said that, you 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 look. There's a gag in the trailer, for instance, in which she says, "What Madonna's now calling herself Lady Gaga? What's that about?" Yeah. Like, Actually, yeah. that's a pretty good yeah. gag. But I I can pretty much guarantee that's going to be one of the top three gags in that movie if there are three gags, because it, I found the trailer. I found the trailer a chore to be honest the trailer was about two yeah. and a half minutes and I was just sort yeah. of thinking it took you 45 seconds to get through the concept what have you filled the remaining minute and so and so with oh good lord okay uh, again I, you feel like if you, we had got the Rebel Wilson Isla Fisher version uh, the Rebel the Reese Witherspoon Isla Fisher kind of version of this the Margot Robbie version of this you know you got, you got the any other version of this I feel like we, we <laughs> may have got something slightly funnier. yeah I'm with you A.D. Yeah. Bryant. A.D. Bryant on SNL would have been good for this, actually. Mm. A.D. Bryant from SNL would have been Basically, what fantastic. we're saying is anyone would have been better for this concept than <laughs> Literally Wilson, anyone so. would have been We haven't even seen it yet. We're already <laughs> making this. I'll make the exception for Amy Schumer. The only way this concept could be squandered more would be if you gave it to Amy Schumer. Okay, yeah. there we, we found it. We found the bottom of that barrel. Okay, uh, other films coming to streaming today then. Uh, one I know you must have seen at some point in the last 19 oh, yeah. years back. Bruce or 19 years. Oh, I, I, I took a date to this movie. Oh my god! My god, Bruce Almighty is on Disney Plus. <laughs> yeah, uh, God. Uh, so Jim Carrey, uh, he is—he's like a uh, yeah. He's—is he God or does he die and become God? And no, no, no. He—he's like... the—he's the news anchor, Bruce, who who yeah. endlessly proclaims that God is crap at his job. <laughs> so God, played by Morgan uh, Freeman, turns up and says, "Right, it. you think you can do a better job? Have a go." And he more or less literally says that to gives him the powers of God. And I will be honest, I I thought actually explored as far as, you know, a Hollywood, a big budget Hollywood comedy exploring the idea of what you could do with the infinite power of, you know, the almighty Mm. did a pretty good job. I mean, there's a a gag about, you know, that's Joan Osborne's song that has to be seen to be believed. And I think it's absolutely amazing. But uh, I I think it's good. I think it's a really good movie. I I even quite like the sequel. The sequel gets dumped on a lot. Uh, It gets shown on ITV2 often on a Sunday. Evan Almighty with uh, Steve Carell, which was incidentally Mm. written on spec as something called Bruce's Ark. Was was yeah. actually what it was written as. I think it was written about every guy, and then they rewrote it as Bruce's arc, and then he wouldn't return. Yeah, for some reason he would do a sequel to Sonic the Hedgehog, but not Bruce Almighty. But anyway, you can see uh, the original Bruce Almighty on Disney Plus uh, from today, uh, along with, and I think we watched this one uh, together, Bex. Yes. Ewan McGregor in Goodbye, Christopher Robin. Do you remember this one? Yeah, and is this with Margot Robbie as well as his wife? Yes, Margot Robbie as well. And this is the one that explores the relationship between you know, the, uh, between A.A. A. Milne, A.A. Mm-hmm. A. Milne, who, who, who wrote yes. uh, Winnie the Pooh, and his son, who, of course, uh, you know, as, as the movie will tell us and the clip we're about to play, was the inspiration for Christopher Robin. 
a toast to England's funniest writer, ready to put the smile back on our faces. What did we fight that war for? Well, it is over. What am I doing about it? You're doing what you're good at, writing plays. I had enough of making people laugh. I want to make them see. I need to get out of London, somewhere quiet and trying to think for once. You're going to live here. This is your new home. <laughs> Mummy says you're writing a book to stop people going to war. Mm. I think your book is a jolly good idea. You're the only one that does. I'd really like if you wrote a book for me. I'd definitely read it. Shall we go for a walk? Aren't you working? It doesn't seem likely. Why am I confusing Don Glacier with Ewan McGregor? I was listening to that entire clip thinking, Ewan McGregor sounds You know weird. why? It's Don Glacier. No, do yeah. you know why? It's, I was just about to say, there were two Winnie the Pooh-based movies that came out there around were. the same time. Yes. They, yeah. they found Neverland, didn't they, with two Winnie the Pooh movies. Yeah. Uh, I remember around the time. What, I can't remember what the other one was now. Wasn't, I can't was think like, of it either. I know. Wasn't that like Robin or something? Something like that. But anyway, yeah, one of them had the one. animations. One, Yeah, mm. one of them had the animations in it and one of them didn't. I can't remember which one's which, but I, I know think... we thoroughly enjoyed this. Yeah, this one we enjoyed. I think it was the Ewan McGregor one that was that was drippier. Then this mm. is the better one. Okay, thank God. I think the Ewan McGregor one, incidentally, is the Disney one. So uh, anyway, so uh, that's on Disney Plus as well from today. Uh, one last one for Disney Plus, and only because so many people don't seem to know this exists. How? Okay. Right. No, no, no. It's not the TV show. We have to be very no, specific about this. Okay. No, I know. So, it's the 1992 movie. Yeah, movie 1992, yeah. Christy Swanson. Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which is actually canon. So, just to explain this to people, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the TV show, is a spin-off of this movie. Now, that TV show wound up becoming absolutely genre-defining, kind of changed how teen shows were made, and indeed how uh, we let, you know how we handle uh, actresses being left alone with showrunners on sets, as recent years seem to have demonstrated. Uh, but before it was a TV show from an incredibly problematic, although in his era, annoyingly talented uh, showrunner, it was a movie starring Christy yes. Swanson, who has since gone on to become a psycho-Republican, and uh, Luke Perry. Luke and Perry, Rugger, yes. And Rugger Hauer as well. Yeah. Like, we forget Rugger Hauer. That's uh, yeah, he's the, he's the. I think he's like a proto for the master in the series. So this is oh, the story of yeah. This is the story of how Buffy actually got her powers. This is when Buffy became the chosen one, and it is that '90s movie. So if you look uh, closely in there, you can see Seth Green in a small role uh, as well. And there's loads of actors who had little roles like in the background. I think Ben Affleck is a, is is one of the henchmen or something in one of the background yeah. scenes. It's a weird movie from the time. Um, it's it, it's a different vibe to the series. Swanson no, has a very brilliant. different energy. But it's good. It's good. I like it's it. It's good. Um, yeah. This is the movie that I, as, as a child, basically <laughs> would go to the video shop and just get it every weekend, you know? It and had that, that like, poster, didn't it? That iconic yeah, poster. Yeah, the poster. She's she's holding the, the blade and then Luke Perry's behind her. Yeah, I get this. I had I also adopted a tortoise at one point and called it Lothos because I was so obsessed <laughs> with the film. So there you go. That's a bit of knowledge for you. So I Love will it. be revisiting this on Disney Plus as of, uh, as of today. Um, and so I actually think where we've got real strength this week is obviously everything, everywhere, all at once. Oh, yeah. But actually, we've got some great picks on the Atelier Box and also on... On, uh, the, the, on Disney Plus that are coming out today as well. So really, really exciting to see uh, all of that. Next week, though, we have uh, The Road Dance, The Innocence, Benediction, and Chippendale, Chippendale Rescue Rangers. 
Yes, speaking of Disney Plus, yes, the Chip and Dale Rescue Rangers movie is out next Friday. It stars Andy Samberg and John Mulaney as Chip and Dale. It is part live action, part computer animated, part hand animated. It's obviously been sort of, it's got a heavy hand in it from the Lonely Island. It looks bonkers level fun. I can't wait. This is like my dream movie. Like a, a wisecracking Lonely Island involved Chip and Dale movie in 2022 on a streaming platform. Ooh, take my subscription money, Disney. So that's uh, that's all to come next week. Uh, but for now, I've been Ben Connor. And I've been Vex Perfect and we shall return. 